All right, well, good morning, everybody. Come on, those are fun video clips, don't you think? At least the, at least the girls in the room should be like, woo! <laughs> the guys can do their obligatory rolling of their eyes or something right at that point. But sort of classic uh, clips, love, love story kind of clips, you complete me, you know, kind of thing. You had me at hello. Come on, everybody loves a little, a little bit of Tom Cruise. Not really, but anyway, <laughs> today uh, we are launching a new series here at Ignite called uh, Once Upon a Time, Myths About Dating, Sex, and Happily Ever After, and it's a series about relationships and uh, exposing some of the myths, some of the things that tend to get in the way in our culture of healthy, loving, and lasting relationships. You see, all of us, right, have grown up in, in a particular culture. We've grown up watching marriages of our parents, of those around us. We've, watched, we've grown up watching movies like this and seeing TV shows and having all kinds of media bombarding us, uh, shows. Uh, all these things have shaped us and given us certain images of what real love is supposed to look like, of what relationships are supposed to be like uh, when we're in them. Uh, those have formed some of our expectations, our understandings of what it's like to be in love, to date, and to be married, to be in relationship or whatever. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to challenge, we're going to kind of push into a few of these myths and instead replace those myths with what God intended for our relationships, for our, for our marriages, and for our lives. This is going to be a great series. You're not going to want to miss uh, any week. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, give all kinds of uh, helpful tools and tips and uh, wisdom from God's book, and so it's going to be fun. Next week, we're going to uh, spend some time talking about sex a little bit. The week after, or a couple weeks after, we're going to talk about some conflict stuff and how to deal with that. We're going to have all kinds of helpful things, and so if you are here and you are in relationship with anybody, right, <laughs> like you're a friend, you're you are dating somebody, you hope to one day date somebody, or maybe you think it's a reality for your future, this series is for you. If you are uh, newly engaged or, or newly married and uh, you're kind of on the front end of, of uh, this relationship thing and this marriage thing, then this series is for you. There's going to be all kinds of helpful things that I think will keep you from having uh, lots of headaches and heartache later on. And as well, if you have been married uh, for decades, right, if you've been married for a long time, even then, I think uh, there's going to be some great encouragement for you, some great tools, some great skills for you, some good reminders even that will make your marriage uh, even better. And so I think, I think it's going to be a great series. We've got great stuff in store. Uh, hope you will come along for the journey. Today, I want to kick off the series by talking about sort of the right person myth, right? This is the belief that if I just find that right person, right, then I'll be truly happy. If I just find the one, quote unquote, right, then I'll be fulfilled. It's that whole you complete me kind of picture of love. It's the belief that if I just meet, date, live with, or marry the right person, that everything else in life will work out okay. You know, we'll never fight. It won't really require effort because we will just love each other and be so compatible with each other that everything will just click, right? <laughs> everything will just work out easy and right. It's that belief that, you know, it, it, it shouldn't really require that much effort because, you know, this is Mr. Right, right? Hardship will not come our way because she is so amazing. She's the one, right? We are soulmates, right? Therefore, everything will just work out right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, this is, this, is, this is what keeps chick flicks in business, right? This is like the stuff of chick movies, right? Every, I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. It's that whole, uh, like, let's just get swept away, uh, and, 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 and one day my, my night will come, right? The, the tall, dark, and handsome one will come, or this hot woman will come. And it, it'll be great. We'll be together. Everything will be perfect because they are the one. The only one, the one that will complete me, the one that will bring happiness and fullness to my soul. Now, the problem is that almost everything that we think about when we t- or, or talk about or we watch movies about love like this, almost all of that is chemical, right? It, it, it's true. I read this fascinating article this week uh, by a Dr. Helen Fisher from Rutgers University. She's a, a biological anthropologist, and I just want to say, It'd be fun to get that on your business card, wouldn't it? Like, I just want to be that, just because it, it'd be like really. I'm a, I'm a uh, biological anthropologist. What do you do? You know, kind of. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. But anyway, she spent most of her adult life mapping the chemical responses to love in the human brain and the human body. Fascinating stuff. She's written extensively on the subject. She's given several TED talks. If you guys know what those are, you can Google them and and check out some of these talks later. Uh, Fascinating stuff. But anyway, she kind of walks through the different stages of love and has actually identified the chemicals that are in the body that are present and that are driving these feelings in these different stages of love. The first stage of love, she says, is actually just lust, right? That's what she would say stage one is. It's driven in both men and women by sexual hormones like estrogen or testosterone, which probably many of the men in the room knew, but maybe not so many of the women (laughs) uh, understood that or thought that about themselves in this stage. But that's what gets our attention, what initially drives us towards another man or another woman. That's what kind of drives the whole thing. The second stage she she refers to as attraction. It's like the love struck phase, right? When we can't think about anything else or anyone else. She says it's a mixture of the adrenaline rush that comes from nervous energy, a mixture of that, of dopamine, which she refers to having an an effect sort of like cocaine (laughs) on us that keeps us wanting to come back and back and back uh, to that person drives us back to them, and serotonin, which keeps us thinking about him or her almost constantly and gives us a euphoric sort of feeling, right? Like, oh man, when I'm around them, it's like I'm floating, right? Everything is magical. Everything is perfect. And then the third phase she refers to as the attachment phase and says it's primarily influenced by oxytocin, which is sometimes referred to as the cuddling hormone, (laughs) the cuddling hormone. But it gives you sort of that sensation, that that desire to want to stay and to want to be together. Fascinating. Anyway, she kind of goes through and talks about these chemical responses which drive so much of what we think about love, about being swept off our feet, about thinking and talking about that person constantly and being consumed and drawn by them. It's chemical. She says this. In fact, this is fascinating. She said, you know, uh, you can recreate this chemical sensation of falling in love. Uh, You can recreate it in 34 minutes, she says. You can trigger all these hormones. She says, do this. Find a perfect stranger and spend 30 minutes deeply sharing from your innermost hopes and dreams and aspirations, and then listen as they do the same. Then in the last four minutes, don't say a word. Just spend time gazing into each other's eyes. 
And according to the research, you will likely trigger these hormones and start feeling these euphoric emotions of falling in love. Can I just say, husbands and wives in the room, can I give you a tip for your next date night? <laughs> if you're going to fall in love with somebody, fall in love with your spouse, right? Again and again and again and again. I thought that was fascinating. 34 minutes. Holy cow. Now, the problem is when we build our relationships and our lives on this feeling of falling in love, of this idea that there's one person that can complete and fulfill me and make everything magic, right? The problem is that those chemicals don't last forever, do they? They have natural ebbs and flows, ups and downs that happen in day-to-day -day life. The emotional part of love comes and goes. If you're dependent on the emotions of falling in love, then you can fall out of love just as easy, can't you? You feel it more some days than others. You go through seasons that are harder, that are busier, that are drier. And suddenly, you see people fall out of love. The magic isn't there anymore, and you got nothing. Because we haven't really built our relationship or our, our, our marriage on anything solid. We're betting it all on this euphoric feeling of love. And so when the chemistry starts to suffer like it always does, our relationships oftentimes end up in big trouble. Now, in our culture, you know what happens if uh, we've gotten together, we've been drawn in by the one, and we have these magical feelings in our hearts and our souls, and then all of a sudden, right, that, that sort of peaks and the valley comes next and, and the bottom falls out and all of a sudden uh, things aren't quite as magical anymore. You want to know what happens so often in our culture? We start thinking, ah, I know what the problem is. It's them, right? I thought they were the one. I thought they deliver in a way that really fills my heart and soul. And I'm being, a, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we kind of really buy into some of this stuff, don't we? It's crazy. I thought they were the one, but maybe it was somebody else. Maybe there's another one out there for me. And so we start looking, we start scanning the horizon. And all of a sudden, we run into another a classmate or another somebody at work or somebody that we bump into at the bar and they are sharing with us stuff from their heart and we sit there and we gaze into one another's eyes. <laughs> you got to kind of bat your eyes when you do that, right? We sat there and all of a sudden this, these feelings start flowing back and we say, you know what? I get it. I thought that, that, that she was the one or he was the one, but I was wrong. Clearly it must be in another person and so we start the cycle all over again you see this happening all over and over and over in our society you see the implications and the way this plays out this right person myth takes its toll when we are staking our relationships on chemistry i ran across some stats that uh, i think are related that i uh, were a little disturbing to me this week in peoria and taswell county in 2011 there were 2,104 couples, 2,104 couples that were married, and 1,161 couples that got divorced. It's a 55% total divorce ratio. I mean, and you can kind of see this happening, right? You think, you think, man, well, I thought they were the one. I thought they were the right person, and all these magical feelings were welling up from inside of me. But then we were together. Then we moved in. Then we got married. Then we whatever, and I realized... You know, he's kind of selfish. He leaves his socks and underwear all over the place. I mean, who does that? 
Don't answer that question. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Or, or you know what? She is a spendaholic. She's going to spend us right into the ground. This is going to drive me. We're going to die. Right? Or, uh, or man, she's so needy. She, all she wants to do is talk and talk and talk. I can't go out with the guys anymore. All of a sudden, reality sets in, and we think, you know what? The one must be somewhere else. It must be at somebody else's house with somebody else that can fill me up and completely uh, uh, complete me in every way. The problem is the stats would say uh, that's not true. When we hop from one to the next person, we start looking there. The, the uh, divorce rate of those that get married a second time is 60%. Uh, get married a third time is 73%, right? 73% of those that get married a third time get divorced. The answer clearly isn't in finding another person. I read another study this week uh, in Peoria County that, that cited Peoria County as being the 18th worst county in America in the category of sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, and teenage pregnancy. Peoria County is between double and triple the U.S. average, and some of the zip codes in our, in our town have more than five times the national average of STDs. If we don't find the right person in this relationship at this time, we'll jump to the next person and to the next person and to the next person and keep looking for it elsewhere. It must, that person must be out there. They must be there. So we jump from one relationship to the next. I shared this a few weeks ago, but in Peoria County, 51% of the babies that were born, I think it was in 2010 or 2012, were born to unwed and oftentimes single moms. In other words, if you have a baby in this county and you're married, you're in the minority. Believe that? It's crazy. All of these stats tell a bit of a story that's happening all around our country and around our world. The right one may be around for a while, and there may be magic and romance, but all of a sudden when the magic's gone, we start searching for this, that, that someone, that right one elsewhere. And we see this kind of thing happening all the time. We see it happening in the stats. We see it happening in our county and in our state and in our world, but we see it happening in our own lives too, don't we? I mean, some of us uh, have experienced this ourselves. Some of us have watched as parents have walked through this. Some of us have watched as good friends have experienced this kind of thing. And we carry around with us holes in our heart and woundedness and bitterness sometimes and confusion and anger because we have been the recipients of that kind of stuff, because we have been left, because we have been abandoned, we have been hurt, and we carry that stuff with us into our current and future relationships and marriages, right? And dating uh, relationships. Today, as a result, I wanna propose something completely different. I wanna kinda push back on all the schmaltzy, hormonal, falling in love and out of love kind of approach to relationships. And instead, I wanna look at what God has to say about this whole topic. Because the truth be told, that feeling of love, this belief and this myth about one man or one woman completely fulfilling and bringing absolute joy and happiness to your soul, this whole magical feeling of love is strangely absent from most of what the Bible talks about, relationships and love and marriage. It rarely comes up. But instead, God approaches marriage and dating and relationships from a completely different, and I might add, better vantage point. 
And so today I want us to look at three things we're just going to kind of talk through uh, in regard to this whole finding the right one. I want to talk about how to find the one. We'll talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about how to be the one. Secondly, and the third one is I want to I do some redefining about the one, okay, for us. Don't worry, it's not just a, a, a message for singles. There's great stuff for all of us in here. First one I'll start with is how to find the one. Just kind of walk through this. Although this is rarely mentioned in God's book, there's actually a place in the Bible which a mom teaches her son, the prince, who eventually becomes king, of what to look for in a wife. She has him memorize these little wisdom sayings about what to look for in a woman, and he, and he ends up recording it, writing it down, and God puts it in his book, in the book of Proverbs, a book filled with wisdom sayings on how life works best. And God thinks it's so dead on that he includes it in his book so that we can read it and learn from it. And although the context of this passage is written from a mom to a son talking about what to look for in a wife, it can, the, the principles apply to, to wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés. What's the male version of fiancé? What's, fi what's the female version? Is it the same? All right, fiancé or fiancé. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like it should be different? I don't know. Anyway, it's spelled different. There, we'll go with that. Anyway, it comes from Proverbs 31. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's the Old Testament. Um, it's a fascinating story. If not, you can follow along on the screens or, or uh, in you version or whatever. But I just want you to listen to this. This is fascinating. Proverbs 31, starting with verse 10, says this, A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark, and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Jump ahead to verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is herself is clothed with fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed, clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Listen to this. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Fascinating passage, don't you think? We don't have time to delve into this passage in great de detail. But let me just ask you a question. What do you notice as you read through this passage? What kind of things does this mother and through her God himself tell us to pay attention to when looking for the one? What kind of things do you notice? What kind of things did you see? She puts others first. What else? I'm talking church. Go ahead. What else did you notice? She's always busy. She's doing stuff. Okay. Good worker. What's that? She's serving. She's, serving. She's what? Serving her family and others. 
Serving your family and others? Yeah, absolutely. She's compassionate. She's sol- got solid character. She, I mean, apparently, right, it has a love for God and a relationship with him. Fears the Lord, quote, quote. All kinds of stuff like that. Now, let me just, let me just turn the page and say, well, what does she look like? What, what do you mean you don't know? It doesn't really talk about it, does it? What do we know about her? The only thing we know about her physical appearance, and it's more metaphorical, but is what? She's clothed in what? Satin and purple, right? It's kind of a, the, a color of the, the kings used to wear. It's sort of a sign of, of, um, of respect or that kind of a thing. But we don't really know. Is she a hottie? Right? Do we, do we know that? Does it say anything about that? We know nothing. Alex would say, oh, yeah, I'm sure she is, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. But we have no idea, right? Uh, what, what God thinks is important, what this mother thinks is important to teach her son, says, you know what? I, there's nothing in there about the euphoric feeling that you're going to have. There's nothing in there that says, oh, man, she's got to be hot. It's going to be great. There's nothing like that. He says, he says you know what the things are that, that are important that you need to pay such careful attention to? Look at her character. Who is she? Is she worthy of respect and trust? Does, is, does she have a love for God? Is she compassionate and loving towards those that are around her? Look for her character, who she is. Now that's something you can build a relationship on. That's something you can build a life on. That's something you can build a marriage on. We spend, in our culture, we spend so much time and energy getting swept away by emotion, by imagining that there's one person that's going to do everything for us and fill us up and all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know what? Don't get so swept away by the emotions of all this stuff. Don't get so swept away into just the, oh, I feel loving towards this person today. I feel like they love me. It's important. It's good. But man, who are they? Really? Are they... Do they have a heart that loves God? Do they have a heart that loves others? Are they somebody that's going to stick with you and be with you and walk with you and grow with you and learn to love together over the long haul? I love verse 30. Charm is deceitful, right? You can be charming, and that can hide who you really are. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Charm is deceitful. Beauty doesn't last. We grow old, don't we? All of us, 100% of us grow older, and we... I mean, I, I hear anyway it's possible that some of us may not be as good looking today as we were, say, 10 or 20 years ago. I wouldn't know, but <laughs> right, right. But charm is deceitful. Beauty doesn't last. But a woman or man who respects and lives for the Lord, someone that is filled with his love, somebody that lives out his compassion for the world, now that's something that'll last. It's something that matters. That's the kind of stuff you look for. Character, relationship with God. That's stuff you can build a life and a marriage on. I remember when Tina and I uh, were, were first sort of hanging out in college. We weren't even dating yet. We were just kind of in that hanging out and, gosh, I can't like you kind of stage, right, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, this is sort of the, the yardstick. Both of us had uh, uh, had kind of a similar yardstick that we were we were before we were going to get swept away by emotion, before we were going to jump into any kind of a dating thing, we were using this yardstick saying, man, I'm looking for somebody that loves Jesus, first and foremost, that loves God way more than they love me, that will put him first, somebody that's pursuing him, somebody that's trying to live their life for him with integrity and uh, character, somebody that loves people, uh, 
And I remember there was this kind of defining moment in our relationship. Again, we weren't even dating yet, but we'd spent some time together. And uh, I remember Tina, this was, she's going to love that I'm sharing this story, by the way. But I remember there was this moment where she blushed, which I always got to make her blush, which is sort of fun. But she kind of blushed and she said, you know what, I, f- I feel like we have the same heart. And I knew exactly what she meant because that's exactly the yardstick I was using too. I felt like uh, we both loved Jesus more than anything. We both had a, had a call to ministry. We both wanted to, to spend our lives telling other people and letting other people know that there is a great, a, God, a great God that cares for them, that died to save them, a savior named Jesus that we want the world to meet. And we want to live our lives to that end. And man, I, I tell you what, I have never once, we have never once regretted choosing uh, one another for those kinds of qualifications. But I tell you what, we've had to watch as people we love, people that we went to school with, people that we have done life with, that maybe some of them may have gotten swept away by the emotion, by, by feeling, oh, he's the perfect one for me. She's the perfect one for me. And they've gotten swept away by all the, the chemicals and hormones and everything that's raging. And we have watched as those chemicals and those hormones have come down and we've watched them break up. We've watched them get divorced. We've watched them walk away with a big thud at the bottom of the relationship because they weren't careful about choosing the one, right? What to look for in the one. I'll tell you what, for those of you that are single, those of you that are in the dating game these days, I would just say, man, you cannot be too careful with this. If I were you, I would go home, I would open up your Bibles to to Proverbs 31, and I would read that and read that and read that and, and start looking for the principles that are in there and base your life on it. And there's nothing better. This is, this is life-changing kind of stuff if you'll, if you'll live by it. I always think that uh, the time to be critical, the time to, to look with critical sort of eyes and, and nitpick and look, at, look for all the stuff is before you start dating or is before you say I do. And then after that point, that's the season of grace, right? That's the season where you learn, you know, one another, the good, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly about each other. And that's the time where you learn to love and you learn to forgive and you learn to give grace to one another. So often in our culture, it's the opposite. We give grace on the front end. We think, oh, it's so cute, right? Oh, I love that he leaves his socks around. Isn't that just so cute, (laughs) right? Before we're married, before I, right? There's those little things that, and we say, oh, that's really cute. I, you know, it's fine. He's, it's not that he doesn't have character. He's just a free spirit, right? That's okay. That's okay. And we're gracious up front, and then 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, that's when we nitpick. That's when we go after, like, oh, I hate that about, why do you do it? Why? And it's supposed to be the opposite, right? Amen. Let's do a good job on that stuff on the front end. Let's, let's look with wisdom on the front end. Let's use God's yardstick here and look for stuff of the heart, stuff of character, stuff that'll last and then after we say I do, that's the season for grace. All right, we better keep going. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Second thing is how to be the one. The real issue uh, isn't really about finding the right person. It's more about becoming the right person, being the right. This is life-changing kind of stuff if you'll get a hold of it, right? 
You see, God says very little in his book about how to find the right one. There's a couple of places you can draw examples from. We just looked at probably the main one, right? There's not a ton in his book about that, a few places. But there are literally hundreds of pages in God's book about how to become the one, how to become the right kind of person, about how to be transformed by him. Andy Stanley, author and pastor, says, focus on becoming the person that the one you're looking for is looking for. (laughs) Isn't that a good... He says, focus on becoming the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. He says, if your ideal man or woman ran into you today, would the quality of the person you are be what they're looking for? If I can kind of turn the corner on that. Or if you're married, instead of focusing and picking at your spouse because they're not totally making you happy, they're not living out their role as the one, quote, quote, in exactly the right way for you. What if you were to spend more of your time and energy focusing on becoming the right kind of spouse? We love to focus on how others should do a better job and how others should be treating us, how our spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends should do a better job at making us feel happy and full and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus has a completely different perspective on this, doesn't he? Ever heard of the golden rule, right? Jesus is teaching, Matthew 7, he says, you know what, in everything... Do to others what you would have them do for you, or do to you. But this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says, instead of sitting around waiting for your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, rather than waiting for them to love you better or love you perfectly or make you more happy or serve you more or whatever, why don't you treat them the way you want to be treated? Why don't you focus on how to be the one rather than on demanding that they be something for you? The one person, the only person that you can change, that you can work on, that you can uh, affect truly is you that way, right? So work on you. Work on becoming that one that you want to be, that you need to be. And let me just ask you that question. Are you becoming the right person, the kind of person that, that the one you're looking for is looking for? Today, I just want to um, look at one quick passage. If you've ever been to a wedding before, You've probably heard this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as the love passage. You got to say it like that, too. Say the love passage, <laughs> right? 1 Corinthians 13, it's, a, it's an amazing passage, it, and it's talked, it just talks about love, the whole chapter. And uh, it's probably the most frequently used uh, passage of Scripture that gets read at weddings. And husbands and wives, brides and grooms, on their best day, they, they love to hear these words, and they imagine a relationship that's perfectly characterized by this. And their husband, their future husband or their future wife is going to love them like this. It's going to be amazing, right? And, uh, and so uh, I want to just take a, a quick little twist on that, if I can, for a second, and, uh, and just say, rather than reading it with those eyes, I want you to think about what there is in there that you could do. How are you doing at love around you? Your boyfriend, girlfriend, your friends in general, right? Uh, your husband, your wife, your family, whoever. Would you say that your life is characterized by loving like this? First Corinthians 13, starting with verse 1, says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know what he's saying? Life, relationships, marriage, achievement, anything in life apart from real love is empty. It's nothing. Then he goes on to describe it. Just look, listen to these words. Think about you loving others like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You stop and just look at a few of those verses real quick. We won't go through all of them, but just, just take a quick peek. These are specific ways that you and I can actually embody and look and function in a more loving kind of way. We can actually learn to love by putting some of these things into practice. One of the ways you can become more and more the right one is by putting some of these things in practice. I'm, I'm trying to help you here. If you want to develop sweet dating skills, right? If you want to develop some awesome husband and wife kind of skills, if you want to up your relational game a little bit and learn to really love, then here's what God says. God says, love is patient. Learn to be patient. God says love never pressures the other person. Love creates as much space and time and margin as the other person needs. If you are pushing or nagging or hurrying someone else, then that's probably not loving them well. Love is patient. Would you say that your life, your relationships, the way you treat your spouse, your significant other, your fiance or whatever, would you say that you are characterized by being patient with them? even when they do boneheaded stuff, right? Are you patient? It's a grace. Second one, he says, love is kind. Means literally, w love is considerate, right? Considerate means that you take into consideration how the other person feels all the time. And you can practice this, right? What would, uh, would you say that you are considerate towards those around you, towards your spouse? Do you take their preferences, their feelings, their needs even into consideration and act accordingly. Keep going. It does not envy. I wonder how many relationships have been impacted by envy. Oftentimes envy shows itself out in relationship when in this kind of way. If I'm not happy, if I don't feel good about myself, if, I, if I'm not feeling full, then I don't want you to either. If I'm not feeling happy, I'm not happy if you're happy. And we tend to claw each other and scrape each other down. We can say critical things, put the smack down on people. Because really, we're not feeling that great ourselves. Goes on. Says, love does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. Man, it's a huge one. It's not self-seeking. It's not me, 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 but puts others first. It's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. I don't know. Uh, I mean... I don't know what you think when, when we kind of read through this list, but I think it's easy for us to read this and think, man, this is nice in like dream dream land, right? In like leave it to beaver episodes, reruns from the past or something in like, you know, these old 50s sitcoms. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? But that's not real life, right? That's not 
where I live, that's just kind of bogus kind of stuff. But let me ask you those, this, this question, if I can. For those of us that have been around people that have broken up, that have been around marriages or homes or whatever that have split, um, that kind of thing, let me just put it to you this way. Do you think it's possible that things could have turned out differently if the husband and wife, if the couple had been more patient with one another? Is that possible? Do you think if they would have been a little more self-controlled and weren't quite so quick to explode in anger, do you think that may have impacted the home a little bit? Do you think maybe that would have been better for their relationship? Do you think if they kept no record of wrongs, if forgiveness sort of permeated the relationship, do you think the marriage or the relationship might have worked and might have lasted and might have been a little better? You think that's possible? If we were kind to one another, considerate towards one another, you think that might play out if we didn't hold grudges when we've been hurt, if we were filled with compassion, if we were irrationally committed to one another, we just didn't give up on people. You think that would make a difference in our homes, in our lives, in our relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. These are real-life things that we can do. This is a picture of what love exemplified looks like, of what the kind of love it, it is that we are made to experience, the kind of love that we are made to, to experience with God first and foremost and then with one another. When that happens, when we get to taste love like that, man, we come to life. It's sweet. It's good. It may not be common in our world, but it's possible. Right? It is. You can experience this kind of love first from God and then to others. In fact, nothing would bring God greater joy than to see his people consumed and filled and exporting that kind of love to one another. So we talked about first finding the one. We talked about becoming the right one. The th and third, I just want to wrap up by, by talking about sort of redefining the one. I'll give you another Tina and me story. But uh, I remember bef uh, right after, I guess, Tina and I were engaged, uh, we, uh, we both come from uh, homes where we didn't really see um, spectacular marriages lived out um, before us. My, my dad left before I was even born. Uh, even my my stepdad that I grew up with uh, wasn't exactly a thriving marriage, and I think Tina had some of the same kind of thing. So we, we both brought in some baggage, some fear <laughs> into the marriage, um, some, uh, some hesitation, if you will, some things. We were both a little scared, just going, man, I don't know. I mean, if that's what marriage looks like, I'm scared. I don't, we both knew that we wanted to see something different, but we were both kind of had some, some of our own baggage and that kind of thing. Tina especially, I think, was pretty fearful of what marriage would be like, even though she'd clearly found, you know, a stud. So. <laughs> but, but, but I remember as she prayed and processed, did I really say that? Anyway, I remember, <laughs> I remember as she prayed and processed and kind of thought through it a little bit, she came to this point and she said, you know what? And uh, uh, she's like, even though I, I'm fearful and I'm hesitant, to trust you, she said, I trust the God that lives inside of you. That's exactly where we're going 
with this third point. Because if you or I or look, are looking to a human being to find fullness and to find fulfillment and to find purpose and joy and perfect love on many, 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 many occasions, we will be devastated. We will be disappointed. We will be, no matter how great Mr. Right or Mrs. Right is, <laughs> Right? No matter how great your boyfriend or girlfriend is, I'm sure that you are experiencing love that is that no one else in human history has ever experienced. But no matter how great they are, they will fall short if you're looking to them for everything, if you're looking to them for all that. And that's why God says in order for your life and your relationships, in order for everything to go well with you, in order for you to have the kind of relationships that you're meant to have, there is a proper order to these kinds of things, right? Jesus says in Matthew 22, he talks about the two most important things in life. He says it like this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's your one. If you're looking for the one, it's Jesus, right? It's him. It's God, right? Set your heart and your eyes fully on him because he is the only one that will not disappoint you, the only one that can fill your life, the only one that can bring freedom and fullness to your soul. We're created for relationship with him, and our hearts are restless until, until we get this one right. So he says, love God first and foremost. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor. Love those around you like you love yourself. Love God first, and then, he says, love others. Why are so many marriages screwed up today? So many relationships sort of on the blitz. We're looking to people for that which only God can fill. Tina is an awesome wife, but she's a lousy savior. She's a terrible God, right? And if I look to her to find everything that I need, I will be disappointed again and again and again and again. If I'm looking to her to get, like, gimme, 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 gimme. But if I start and get this right, right, where I turn and I open up my life and my heart to God, and I get filled with his love, and I let him meet needs and direct me and change me and shape me more and more into his image. Man, all of life works better then, right? It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean there's not hard work involved in marriage. But man, suddenly I am free to be able to love in ways that I couldn't have before. Jesus says in, uh, in John seven thirty seven, there's this great picture, this great scene where Jesus uh, is sort of at a party of sorts. He stands on the last and greatest day of the feast, and he says in a loud voice in front of the crowd, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Anybody who believes in me, anybody who puts their faith and their trust in me, as the scriptures have foretold, he says, streams of living water will well up from within him. You know what Jesus is saying in this thing? He's saying, I'm the one. Right? I'm the one, the only one that can fill your soul, that can bring meaning and purpose to your life and fullness and lasting peace and joy and love. I'm the only one that can give you what you need. I'm the only one that can bring you back to the Father. I'm the only one that can open up your heart and pour my love inside in ways that just bring transformation in life. I'm the one. 
And if you and I would look to him, would open up our hearts and lives to him and say, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to discover the life that I was made for. Would you lead me and guide me to that end? Would you forgive me for the junk, for going my own, for looking to in all the wrong places, looking for love in all. <laughs> Would you forgive me for looking in all the wrong places for that which only you can give? When we do that, Jesus says, man, you better buckle up because that's the life that you and I are born for. That's the way relationships work best. There's a a study that I ran across one more and then I'll finish up here, but from Harvard University, remember I told you the, the divorce stats, we said in Peoria, 55% divorce ratio, uh, and I, I'm back on, on here. Uh, the divorce rate for people that involve God in their relationship, and they define it this way, those that read the Bible and pray together and attend worship together regularly is 0.08%, it's one in 1,287 get divorced, right? I actually, you can't see it because it's so low, but I actually put it in. <laughs> I put the number in there. Isn't that crazy? It's so small, it doesn't even show up on the scale. Do you think that when we get this right, that when we put God in his rightful place, we look to him as the one, and then we come into relationship his way? Do you think that makes a difference in our marriages? Do you think that makes a difference in our relationships? Man, this, will tr this could transform everything. This is life the way it's meant to be lived. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what he may be saying to you. You could be here and maybe you've never settled this deal with him. You've never uh, kind of turned your heart and your eyes and your face towards him and decided that he's the one for you. And if you've never done that, man, I would tell you, do it today. It's the best best decision, best thing you can possibly do is turn your heart and your eyes Godward and cry out to Jesus, I need you. Would you come? Would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you take my life and make it what you want it to be? When we put our faith and trust in him like that, man, there is nothing better. It's the good stuff right there. Maybe you're here and the, the truth be told, uh, there's You've been kind of swept away. There's some relational stuff. You've been kind of swept away by the hormones and the, 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 all the feelings of love. And you're in a relationship with uh, somebody that's, that's not your spouse right now, and it needs to stop. You're, you know, it's, if you're honest, you know they're not the one. They're not the right one. Maybe today you need to, to break that off and entrust your future and your relationships to God. Man, you won't be sorry. Maybe you're here and, and the truth be told, you need, to, you need to take 1 Corinthians 13 home and start reading this thing day by day by day by day because the truth be told, you're not the right one. You, you're not in a healthy and whole place where you're able to come into your marriage or your relationship in a way that brings life, in a way that's God-honoring. And maybe you need to start hitting your knees on a daily basis and praying, opening up your heart to God and saying, God, would you teach me how to love? I'm not sure I get it. I'm not sure I know. Would you shape me and teach me to be more loving the way you describe love? Maybe you're here and uh, you are swimming in, um, swimming in the reality of the hurt and the heartache and stuff that's come uh, 
from relationship, and maybe today God is just calling to you and you just need to turn towards him and let him comfort you. Turn towards the only one that can bring healing, that can bring life. The only one that really truly probably knows what you're going through and let him meet you there. Maybe some of us need to, that are single, need to take a break from relationship and invest in the, that one, right? That relationship with God and let him fill you and heal you and do a work in you first so you can come into a relationship with something to give. I don't know what God has in store for you, but my prayer throughout this series is that we would be people that are quick to turn to God that we would learn to love, that we would learn to have God-honoring relationships in a way that brings life, in a way that lasts, right? In a way that lines up with God's plans for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry. I pray that you would meet with us here today, that you would minister to each one of us individually, that you would speak and heal and fill Lord, would you teach us to love over these next days and weeks together? Lord, we want to, we just sort of open up our hearts and our lives to you, and we just cry out afresh this morning, we need you, Jesus. Whether we've prayed that before or never before, doesn't matter. We just, we turn our eyes to you, and we say, God, would you come, and would you fill us and lead us? Would you teach us to love? Would you infuse your spirit in us and, and your life? in us. May you be seen and evident in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. May you be honored and have your way. We pray in Jesus' name.